God. What a sweet heritage. Uh, many, many years. I know a lot of people thought that we were a 50-year-old church, but really our story began in Araby, Louisiana over 90 years ago. And so it's amazing what God has done through First Assembly of God. But I'm here to tell you that you don't take a name with you. You honor the past. You love what God did, but you take people with you. And if the name hinders the mission, which is to get people in the kingdom, then we have to be willing to surrender to what God wants to do. And that's what our heart has been. How can we accomplish the mission that First Assembly was founded on years and years ago? And we believe that this is how God is going to honor all of the work and the, the blood, sweat, and tears and the giving and the faithfulness that you've done for years. That's not in vain. This is all a part of the history that we're making. I call it the future history of First Assembly. We may not have the same name, but let me tell you something. When Felicity became a buckle instead of a roulette, she's still Felicity. Her heart's still in it. She didn't become a new person. She brought that into the marriage, and she just has a different name, lives in a different house. But she's still the same. And so if we truly love First Assembly, we love people, not a name. Is that right? And so, you know, it's sad when people abandon family for something, you know, like a name or whatever. But those of you who have stuck with this from, from the beginning, some of you, some of you for years and years, I want to honor you this morning. If you've been here for 10 years or more, I want you to stand up in the house. There's going to be a lot of you. Stand up. If you've been at First Assembly of God for 10 years or more, let's give them a big round of applause as we honor you for your faithfulness and sticking with it. Sticking with it. I can't say how much. I just can't honor that enough. Just sticking with it and and trusting God and knowing that he has a plan for this church. And it may look different than what we see or what we think it should be, but it, when it is God, it is right and it is perfect. And so thank you for your faithfulness to stick through and to be here today to see what God is going to do. It's, an, it's amazing what your faithfulness is going to accomplish. I'd also like to honor any of the board members. If you are a current a past board member, I want you to stand up. It's Bob Sule and Linda and James and Dave and Joe and who else? Anyone else that was a board? Let's give them a big round of applause. Now, I can tell you that um, there's a lot of things that goes on to being a board member. And there's a lot of assumptions that can be made about what they should or shouldn't do or hear... But you have to understand that these men and women have had your best interest in mind. They're praying people. They're godly people. They're, they're people, though. They're people. And I can tell you that I've sat in some meetings, and um, it's just been an honor to serve Jesus with all of you uh, the past couple of years that we've been here um, as, as you've led this church the best of your ability. So we honor you this morning. Thank you very much for the hard work and the, the long meetings and, uh, that you've participated in over the years. So thank you very much. And uh, again, I'm going to send a letter to the membership. Those of you like, what now? What happens with my membership? Um, we're going to, the letter is going to be coming out this week and explain the process of, of becoming members, which is leaders is what they call them at Saints. 
Uh, and the volunteer meeting on January 10th and 11th is critical for you, uh, f- for anyone who wants to be a volunteer, but especially those who want to continue their membership. Amen? So we will try to, again, lead with information as much as possible. We don't want you to be in the dark. We've sent emails. We post on social media. We're trying to do everything we can to lead with information so you're not in the dark. Before I begin my message this morning, uh, final message of 2019, a decade. Wow, decade. I'm thinking this morning, 2010, I was in Thibodeau, Louisiana. Uh, Kathan was born. Uh, my, and Corbin wasn't even in existence yet. <laughs> and um, I was just hearing from the Lord about moving to Mississippi to plant Chi Alpha in the state of Mississippi. And I'm watching it blow up in Mississippi right now, uh, you know, because we left. <laughs> you know, it's like, if you just obey, God will do some great things. But no, seriously, I would never have imagined, never in a million years, I didn't plan out my life. I didn't say, this is exactly how I want it to be, God. You will do it. Or No. When I die, I simply want to be known as a person who obeyed. I want people to say at my funeral, he obeyed. Period. That's it. I don't even have to think about it. And that is what I've tried. I'm not perfect. You know, you can probably give a loud amen to that. Please don't. But I have tried to obey, even if it makes me look bad, even though it hurts people's feelings, even though it's like the father who does the best for their children, I have tried to live a life of obedience. See, it's not about what we think we should do. It's what God is telling us to do. That is what true obedience is about. And when you do that, when you live a life of obedience, it may not make you look popular. People may leave you. People may desert you. People may, may say bad things about you. But when you have God's interests and people's interests and love guiding you in obedience, you will never, ever lose. Ever. Amen? So I hope that I've led that way for you all over the past couple of years. And I hope that I've honored the legacy of Pastor Flanagan and others before me who have tried to be obedient as well. Amen? So before I get into my message, I've asked Joe Murky to come on up, and I want him to just uh, speak from his heart a few words to you as someone. I'm sure I could have got a lot of you um, that have been here for a while, but Joe's going to come just share a few words as, as a... I won't say older, seasoned member of the church. Um, So Joe, let's give it up for Joe Murky. Ten years. I've been here 40 years, and I still feel like a kid. And I'm not alone, you know. As I look, there's been a lot of new people coming. I'm surely grateful, and I hope you stay. I really do. But to all of you who I can look around and say, some of you have been here longer than I, I certainly want to thank you. Uh, he told me I had two minutes, but that's a joke. Uh, he, he, he told me he was going to stay up here and he wouldn't sit down, so if he see him throw a book at me, tell me to duck. He, uh, you know, it would be a lie to say that during the course of this consideration of what we are going to culminate in next week, that I didn't have concerns and uh, Maybe not fears, but, you know, real consideration as to what's going on. You can't invest your life in anything that you think is valid and good and uh, come to a point where there is a change that 
is, though it may be well needed, is not something that's easy to take. So I struggled for a while with no animosity, truly, with no animosity, but I just struggled about the change. And as we got closer and closer to the date at which we would have to make a vote, I just, you know, I would pray and I would think and I would pray and I would think. And uh, one evening I was at my house and I was, I, I, this, I hesitate to say this word came to me, but the thought of this word kept coming up to me. I'm not going to tell you what the word is first. I want to give you a picture. I taught Sunday school a long time, and I, if I can draw a picture, you can oftentimes understand the truth a little bit easier. So think about this picture in your mind. There's a group of men in a fire station, and they're doing their normal daily task in that fire station. And a call comes into the fire station about a tremendous fire that's taking place in your city. So the guys scurry to their positions, take the trucks, drive down to the fire, and they're working their best to try to extinguish the flames and save the property and make sure things are okay. And then they get the news that somebody, even something as dramatic as it may seem foolish, that there's some pets or something trapped in the house. One perhaps of those guys, or maybe a number of them, will rush into that house and try to do something of, of worth, let's call it, and do something of bravery and try to save that person. Now remember that picture, because I want to use one more. Think of a, think of a police officer Three o'clock in the morning, you're sleeping, I'm sleeping, all the world is sleeping, but not everybody's sleeping. So a dispatch calls this officer and says, we got a call at such and such a location. A lady says somebody seems to be trying to break into her house. The guy drives to that location, gets out the somewhat security of his car, right? He's the only one there. He has to walk down the alley, not knowing what he's going to find at the back of that alley. Is he going to meet a guy with a two-by-four? Is he going to meet nobody? Is he going to meet a guy with a gun? The guy may have a family. The, the, the officer may have a family. He may have children. <clears throat> but he gets out that car, and he goes down that alley. The word that kept coming up to me when I was thinking this is hero. Heroes are people who take action at either even a reasonable or a significant cost to them on behalf of somebody else. And in my consideration of how I was going to act, I decided that I wanted to be a hero. I wanted to do something, I didn't think this was going to happen, but I'm soft. I wanted to do something that was good and right for somebody else that was going to cost me and I was willing to pay for. And I think all of you, by virtue of you being here now, you have a right to call yourself a hero.
you have decided that you weren't going to protect the things that were in your past with such a passion that you were most important. You were going to climb, you were going to put that hose down and go into that burning house. You were going to walk down that dark alley because somebody else needed you. Many of those somebody else's may have never been here before, may have not even ever been in a church before. But you are laying a groundwork to do something for people who don't know Christ. And 40 years ago, I didn't. I was 26, 27 years old when I got saved. I could be as sure on the road to hell right now and not even realize it until somebody took me to a church that preached the Bible. I will give you one more example to be totally safe in church, that being a hero doesn't mean you have to get out of a police car. In Exodus chapter 2, I'm going to read just a couple of little verses. Here it says, a man, of, man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi, and a woman conceived and bore a son. She saw he was beautiful, and she hid him for three months. But when she couldn't hide him anymore, she got a wicker basket and covered it with tar and pitch, and covered it, and covered it with tar and pitch. And she put the child into it and set it along the reeds by the Nile River. His sister, remember, look how, they, how this was written. The mama does this. His sister, whose sister? The baby's sister. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket along, among the reeds, sent her maid who brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw it was a child, and behold, the child was crying. And she had pity on him, and she said, this is one of those Hebrew children. This is the next verse. Then his sister, whose sister? The baby's sister, said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she might nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. The child's mother was a woman named Jacobed, who was the mother of three children at least who are named Aaron, Miriam, and Moses. Now think about this verse. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter. She was not accompanying Pharaoh's daughter. She was over there watching for her brother. But you know what she did? Somehow, I don't know, but this is the way I see it. She walks up to Pharaoh's daughter, who is the daughter of the supreme ruler of Egypt, who holds Israel as captive by God's decree and is unaware that God is about to use this baby to deliver his people. 
this little girl walks up to Pharaoh's daughter and says, you want me to find a nanny? That girl was a hero. I mention this only to say this, and this is the end, I promise. You don't have to do dramatic things like run into buildings or walk down dark alleys. I salute those people. But you and I can be a hero in God's family for all of the people who just need a little bit of direction. And by submitting ourselves to a good work, by contributing our assets, next year there'll be next week there'll be maybe 250 people here. 250 people gathered together for one person, for one purpose, and that is to find the people who need some help out there. And you are a hero that contributes to this work. So today when you go home, hold your head up high and realize that what you are doing is not sacrificing, it's heroism. And I thank you. Okay? Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Very good word. Very good. Thank you, Joe. Um, as we, as I was thinking about, you know, last message for 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 the new year, and I'm always thinking about who's going to be in the room. So the majority of us in this room are from First Assembly, and but there's a few of you here, maybe that you're visiting, or maybe you've just started coming, and and so almost a month ago, I was thinking about this message this morning, and. And God, I believe God gave me an important word for us. And because there's, you know, it's like, can we, can we remember the past? And can we talk about the past? And can we talk about, and, and I believe that starting from this point uh, in this message, we're looking to the future. We're looking to 2020. It's, it's unbelievable to even say that. But I just want for just a moment to say that let everything from this moment on be led by love. Because that's the number one characteristic of a true Christian. Not how faithful you've been to First Assembly. Not how faithful you've been to church. Not, it's your love. If you don't love next week, everything is wiped out. And I say that because when people come in the door that, that, that you don't know, do, do you, are you going to greet them and welcome them? Are you going to sit next to them? Are you going to welcome them as family? Are you going to love them? There will be a lot of people that don't know the Lord. And like Justin said last week, what reflection of God are we going to give them when they walk in that door? So I want us from this moment on to let everything be guided by love. Yes, you can be uncomfortable with change. Yes, you, you, can, you, know, you can be sad. Those are perfectly okay emotions. But I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you. To get on your face before Jesus this week and say, Lord, give me a heart to love, to show love, so that they will receive love, and so that we can immediately begin to yoke together for the greatest work that this city has ever known. Amen? Let's do that together. Hey, so oftentimes when I drive around the greater New Orleans area, so I'm from Metairie, 
but I would drive around New Orleans and drive around Kenna, Kennebra and, you know, Metairie. And oftentimes I'm driving around and I see abandoned businesses. Sometimes there's like a, a piece of land where there's no business anymore or there's an old shopping center that's abandoned or it's become something new. And, and you know the saying, ain't there no more. There's a song about it. I mean, you drive down the street and Maison Blanc, ain't there no more. K&B, ain't there no more. Right? McKenzie's. I don't care if they sell, they think they sell it in Tasty Dunn. It ain't there no more. TGNY, Dell Champs, Schwagman's, ain't there no more. It's gone. The little Kodak kiosk, remember that? Where you can drive up and, and, and you can put your, your pictures, your, well, your film through the window and, and then you go through the drive through and they give you these pictures uh, that aren't on a, a phone. Ain't there no more. I mean, all of these businesses, so much nostalgia and, and so much that these businesses can still offer us today. They didn't go out of business because they had a bad product. They could, have, they could have still offered things today, and yet they are no longer here because they all failed to do one thing. Adapt. They refused to adapt. And so this year... We're talking about the church, we're talking about your family, and talking about your personal life. I believe this is the year that we all desperately need to be willing to, say it with me, adapt, adapt. Many of these owners of these businesses will probably tell you that they didn't see it coming. It came out of nowhere. And whether it was a sign of the times, whether it was all this new technology, or just simply trying to stand their ground. We have a good product. I was at Walgreens the other day. And I'm walking to Walgreens, and I just looked at Redbox. And I said, they're in trouble. They're trying to do this online thing, but if they don't start radically thinking and adapting and being willing to do that, you will not see those boxes in front of the stores anymore. How many people are putting CDs or DVDs in there? DVDs are almost like VHS tapes to the younger generation. And so I look at these things and these companies lost the ability to serve the communities they were in because they didn't adapt. For a business, it's pretty detrimental. We know that. For your family, it's, it's tough. But for the church, its consequences are eternal. It's a huge deal when we don't adapt. You know, the way we met for a church a second, the way we measure effectiveness as a church is if we're reaching people. That is the one standard measurement that all churches... People say, oh, there's tons of churches around here. Why do you want to plant churches? No, no, no. There's tons of buildings around here. A church reaches people. A church helps people see their need for Jesus. A church makes disciples who makes disciples. That's it. That should be every church's reason for existence. And so it's not about if we feel comfortable every week. It's not about if our, our names on the bill or if our songs being sung. Or, and you've heard me say this over and over if you've been with me a long time. It's, not, it's okay to have those preferences, but that's not why we exist. That is not we're a hospital for sick people. There's no perfect people allowed. 
And so we try to do that and we try to help. And if a church isn't willing to adapt, it will eventually stop reaching people, which will lose its identity. It will lose its purpose. And you've heard it said before that methods are always changing. The message stays the same. So as 2020 rolls in, which in a couple of days, whether we like it or not, here it comes. 2020 rolls around. I wonder how many of us are ready and willing to make the changes necessary in our lives so that we don't go out of business. Amen? And so as a church, we voted. We made the decision. We prayed and we voted to merge with Saints Community Church. But how many of us are really ready to make the adjustments necessary once the merge happens next week? New team members, new systems, new strategies, new this, new that, new, 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 new. It can be a challenge, but how many of us are ready to adapt to that change? And what about as individuals? Are you ready for 2020? Have you even thought about it yet? There's not something that magical happens at midnight, you know, which we think, you know, oh, I'm going to lose weight the next morning. (laughs) I wish it worked that way. You know, but there's something about the new year that just helps us to rethink things. And it's a great opportunity to be willing to adapt. Some of you may be here for the first time and you're like, dude, I just need to be able to pay my bills. I just need to be able to do that. And I would ask you, are you really ready to make the major adjustments necessary to get that job you need to pay your bills? Are you, are you ready to adjust your budget and stop spending $500 on coffee a month? Are you, are you ready to make, are you truly ready to adapt so that you are able to do things like pay your bills and, and get along. Or what about your marriage? Or what about if you're in school? Or if you're thinking about school or your family, your life in general? Are you ready and willing to adapt in 2020? Gyms, gym owners love the month of February, excuse me, of January. Why do you think they love that? New Year's resolutions. I call them January resolutions because most people don't make it to February. Do you know that gyms, I said this last year, I think, they, they purposely have all this extra space because in January they lease out exercise equipment. Why do they lease it and not buy it? Because it's going to be gone in February. Isn't that the sad state of things? That's who we are. Why? Because we just won't adapt. But it does not have to be this way. We get the choice. We get to choose. And so a very important question to ask yourself is, how adaptable to change, because that's what it's really all about, am I? How adaptable to change am I? Can you recall, think of your life, think of your past, most recent or, or long ago, and think of an example that illustrates you being adaptable. You know, sometimes we just need to remind ourselves that we did it once and we can do it again. Or sometimes we need to remind ourselves of what happens when we didn't adapt and the devastation from that. We look back on our life and say, man, I didn't adapt. I'm never going to do that again. Here's your chance in 2020 to do that. See, getting where you need to be in the new year, it involves adapting. It involves changing. It involves shifting. It really involves you to be a little bit flexible. All of us. 
And so whether an organization like our church or on a personal level, we must adapt or we'll never be where God wants us to be. We'll never see the things that he wants us to see. Any baseball player can tell you that today's home run has no bearing on tomorrow's game. Any author, every author, should tell you that their best book must be the next one they write. And But winning tomorrow's game or writing your best book ever requires learning and adapting and shifting your focus today. Let me tell you something. Just because something worked well yesterday doesn't mean it will remain effective today. And what works today might not be the right tool for tomorrow. That's what adapting is. Always adapting. Always ready. Always learning. That's why it's so important. And let me tell you, thinking of next week, what does adapting not look like? Well, I can tell you what it sounds like. Not adapting sounds like, well, that's not the way we've always done it. Well, that's never going to work. Well, why are they doing that? I, I don't understand this. People are not going to like this. I mean, that is negative, half-glass-empty thinking, and it affects the mission. Sometimes, even in my own life, in my own home, I just know when to be quiet. Okay, maybe half of the time. But, you know, I'm learning. I'm trying to understand these things. And so what does the Bible have to say? The Bible has a lot to say about adapting. A lot of the heroes and the the people in the Bible have had to go through the things that we go through. Some, as Joe pointed out, in a lot more difficult circumstances. But I want to bring you to the Old Testament, a story of adapting in the Old Testament, Nehemiah. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole story of, of of what he was the, the king's cupbearer, and, and, and he was charged to, to do something pretty grandiose for his position. But Nehemiah was charged by God, by God, to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem after the Babylonian exile. For those of you that don't know the story, I encourage you to read the book of Nehemiah. And so the Babylonian uh, exile, the nation of Israel. But rebuilding that wall, this task that God asked them to do, was a monumental task. It was enormous. They didn't have all the resources we have today. But even so, it was a monumental task that God was asking them to do. And one that would require all hands on deck in order to pull it off. And I want to read a snippet of Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 10 through 11, just to give you a little bit of insight on, on before they began the adoption process. It says, The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. And now he's praying this. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. He was praying this prayer and didn't realize what God was fully asking him to do yet and what would happen as they began building this wall. See, adapting is ultimately about serving. It's about honoring God. That's why we adapt. Not for me, not for them, not for anyone else, but for God to honor him. And if you go further in chapter 3 of Nehemiah, there's a list of everyone that Nehemiah employed to help. And he managed them during this project. 
Everyone from priests to temple servants to, to goldsmiths to even perfumers. All of these different people, no one, male or female, was exempt from the command to rebuild Jerusalem's wall. And so when opposition came from these tribes, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashadites, Nehemiah was forced to adapt. And while Israel's enemies plotted to fight Jerusalem and foil their plans to rebuild the wall, he shifted his plan a little bit. And he turned his people from just builders to builders and warriors. See, with a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other hand, his workers kept building the wall. See, adapting is not, listen, it's not about abandoning the values or the principles or the training that got you where you are. It's about adopting those core parts of you through intuition and creativity and trust. And that's what these businesses didn't do. They didn't have to ignore what got them to the place they were. They just had to be willing to adapt. Just as Nehemiah did by putting a sword in the perfumer's hand and saying, keep building, keep building. And see, for us, for all of us to be effective in life, we have to be willing to make adjustments. We have to be willing to adapt, to do things that maybe we've never done before, to learn things that maybe we've never learned before. And here's the key, to be open to evaluation. And I want to park there for a moment because there is a great misconception that experience alone makes you better. That is a big old lie. It's the greatest misconception that experience makes you better. See, Only evaluated experience makes you better. Only evaluated experience. See, God has more to teach you. And you are still going to have to learn some lessons through some new experiences. And so lead the way by taking the seat of a student, a learner, teachable, And sit there for a while, because that's where influence is birth. Whether it's through this merger, or your family, or your own business and life, you have to realize that evaluate experience makes you better, not just experience alone. So don't ever think you've arrived. And that was the problem with these businesses. we We have experience. They don't have experience like we do. And look what happened. It's evaluated experience, constantly learning new things, constantly understanding and learning new ways. And I try personally in my own life to be a lifelong learner. And it's why I'm open to these crazy ideas and changes in my life. And here's why I've done that. Because today's best will never be enough for tomorrow's challenges. You have to always be ready to adapt. Many years after Nehemiah, the Apostle Paul comes on the scene and he was trying to help the church in Rome move past their previous way of thinking, their old experiences, their old habits. In other words, he was trying to get them to adapt from their former ways to helping them change the way they think. And you'll know, he said, let God transform you. That's what God wants to do through this. 
transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's never going to happen unless you become a student. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Romans 12.2. So whether it's dealing with sin in your life, like these Romans are trying to just lose weight, here's the point. Adapting to change for a business is one thing. But trying to line up your thinking with God Almighty should be our goal in adapting. Why? Because as Paul says here, it's good. It's pleasing. And it is perfect to God. And it would truly make the difference in our lives and the lives of those that are around us. So this new year, we really, seriously, need to pray about how God is asking us to adapt. For our church, for one, it's going to begin the process. You know, we're moving forward. We're going to physically become one church with Saints Community Church next week. And we have to trust that God got us this far. We have to trust the system. We have to trust the process. We can't say, God, you're in this. And then when it happens, we're like, no, no, I don't like that. We have to trust the leadership You know, in some examples of the new things, I mean, we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed. We're going to have communion once a week. We're going to do missions. And all these things are going to be new. And we're going to go, why are we doing, what? I don't understand. It's going to require an an enormous amount of willingness to adapt. Do things you aren't accustomed to. Be teachable and willing to do whatever it takes to build the wall. To build one of the greatest works that this city has ever seen. That doesn't happen easy. It doesn't happen without emotions. It doesn't happen without being willing to adapt. And we can both honor our past and embrace the new future. It's it's possible to adapt while doing both simultaneously. But here is something we need to, to seriously consider. All of us, while going through this big change. You cannot adapt to something that you regularly criticize. You can't do it. Criticism usually comes after the changes are made. You know, the parking is different. The the order of service, the preaching, the worship, the kids, the rules, the ministries, they're all different. See, comments about such things will always lead to gossip. So I'd encourage all of us to practice positive confession. Speak where you want to go. If you look at that wall and say it's pink long enough, even though we know it's gray, you will convince yourself that it's pink. Practice positive confession. If you knew that what you said was going to be repeated, you would ultimately think twice about saying it. Here's a newsflash. What you say is going to be repeated. (laughs) It will. I want you to listen carefully to this statement. You will struggle to grow in love for the thing that you criticize. Ask a married person. Uh Uh-oh. Your family needs you to be willing to adapt this next year. We can't get stuck in yesterday and expect our family life to improve. You've got to stop just going with the flow and instead adapt and make sacrifices so your family will thrive. I see it during the holidays. 
when someone gets added to the family, a new spouse or whatever, and, and, and then you got this blended family and, and you had tradition. It's, Christmas is at my house at this time always. And then there's drama and then there's problems. And then people come, families come together and I'm, I'm probably the only one, right? And they, uh, they can't wait for Christmas to be over. I can't wait for these people to get out of my house. <laughs> And, and there's so much drama. Let me ask you a question. Why don't you be the one that adapts next year? Why don't you start thinking? Why don't you stop dreading the holidays and the family gathering because you don't like the changes to your traditions. And instead, when older children get married, maybe start new traditions. Instead of trying to live in the old and leave everyone frustrated. So simple. What about if your spouse wants to get healthy this new year? What about adapting your schedule a little bit to help him or her to be able to achieve that goal? There are so many things that you can do to, by leading with an adapting mindset. And you know, church, family, but really personally, God may, be, God may need you to adapt personally too. What things do you need to improve upon in 2020? What that maybe requires a a little bit of flexibility in your life. Maybe you need to write these things down and evaluate your 2019. Is it diet? Is it exercise? Or just being open-minded to change? Is it restructuring your schedule? Is, Is it spending less money maybe? Whatever it is, when you discover God's why for your life, it makes your how so much easier, especially when change is involved. Whatever your situation may be, be the one who humbles yourself and says, I'll go first. I'll lead by example. I'll adapt. And here are some final lessons about adapting as we move into 2020. Number one is view changes as positive instead of negative. Our minds quickly go to the negative. But view changes as positive instead. This could be a great moment. Change is hard for most humans, but if we can view it as a positive from the start, it can be exciting. The level of excitement can go through the roof if we're just willing to adapt and look at things positive instead of negative. The other thing is, distinguish, this is so important, fact from conjecture. Distinguish fact from conjecture. Don't make assumptions based on made-up stories from others or your mind made up about something. The third thing is, understand that adaption will be hard work for the short term, but will result in great fruit for the long term. It's hard to learn new ways of doing things, but if I'm willing to put in the hard work up front, it will produce results in the long run that you're going to love, whether it's your family, the church, or personally. Ultimately, here's what I believe we need to know. And John, you can start making your way up here. Here's what I believe we've got to get in our heart. If we aren't willing to adapt, then we really aren't ready to change. And if we aren't ready to change, then we cannot complain about who we're becoming or who we will become. As a church, your family, 
personally, you have to be, you have to. This isn't an option. You have to be willing to adapt in life. So many Debbie Downers out there, they choose to be that way because they refuse to adapt, to change with the times. Adapt so that you can be who God destined you to be. So that we can be who God wants us to be. Are you willing to adapt in 2020 so this can be your greatest year yet? Seriously, that don't, don't, this isn't some tweetable cliche, oh, feel good, okay, and I'm not going to do anything. Seriously, if you want this to be the greatest year yet, so many preachers are probably saying this statement all over the country and ever, yeah, and then Monday morning comes. Seriously. If you want this to be the greatest year yet, you get to choose right now. You get to develop that mindset, that adapting mindset. You know, learning to adapt is all part of being a follower of Jesus. Again, look in the Bible for the examples. And the same has been true, again, in my own life, trying to adapt to things. I'm not comfortable with a lot of changes. I'm not comfortable with with all technology and all that. And I, I mean, it's hard, but you have to adapt. And God doesn't call us to be sedentary and comfortable, but active and adaptable. And the greatest challenges in adapting have led to the greatest growth in my own personal spiritual life, especially. If we aren't willing to adapt, It can be a lack of desire, of willingness to grow, which can lead to complacency. See, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit of the living God, leads us to adapt, and He equips us for it. See, Spirit-led adapting requires faith to believe that what God is leading you to do will result in greater good than the status quo, than just getting by. God doesn't want us to be a people that just gets by. He doesn't want that for you. You don't want that for you or your family or this church or your personal life. Can I tell you something about your problems? Can I tell you something about your challenges? Can I tell you something about yesterday? It ended last night. Yesterday ended last night. So don't settle for yesterday because it's over. It's gone. It's history. Give God all of you today for tomorrow's sake. All that you have. Be willing to adapt to experience things that maybe you've never imagined. Remember in life and especially in the kingdom, our goal is to not simply cross the finish line, but to see how many people we can aspire to run with us. That should be our goal. And in order to do this, we have to first make the decision that we're going to adapt. And so I want to close this morning. I want to get ahead of what's going to happen next week. I'm going to give us a chance to adapt before we have to. I'm going to start today. So this morning, I'd like to close by doing something that Saints Community Church does that's a little bit different than most Assemblies of God churches, and most churches in the area. Some churches still do it. But I'm going to close this morning by reciting the Apostles' Creed. 
And here's why. This is so important to understand. Besides understanding where we live and trying to speak the language that the people in our community that we're trying to reach understand, this is one of the oldest, simplest statements of the universal Christian belief. It's a reminder that we're not alone. That millions of other believers all over the world are in agreement with this statement. And they have been for thousands of years. It's a declaration of who we are and why we do what we do. It is a biblical statement. And it's been the foundation of the church for many, many years. That's why we do it. It's a reminder, if anything else. So if you would stand with me, I want to close, and we're going to have the words on the screen. I'd like you to repeat these words with me this morning. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. When you declare those words, when you make positive confessions, when you repeat things, it causes your mind to remember who you are, why you exist, and where you're going. Amen? Father, I pray for this church, for the history, for the glorious moments, for the ways you've used people under the umbrella of First Assembly of God. I pray that legacy will live on in this new church, this one church, Saints Community Church, that you are building in the greater New Orleans area for the greater good of the kingdom. And as our people move forward in a posture of adapting, Lord, will you bless us and keep us? Will your face shine upon us? May you be gracious to us. Give us peace for the journey for our families for our church and for our personal lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say amen. We love you. Have a great day. Please sign up in the lobby to help. Make sure you hug somebody's neck and have a great new year. We'll see you next week.